are listening to Checkbox Outreach, a podcast that showcases excellence and raises awareness of current issues from those who are directly impacted, but typically not at the table. Now, here are your hosts, Aaliyah Gaskins and Katie Leonard. Hi, welcome to Checkbox Outreach. This is Katie. And this is Aaliyah. And today we are joined by Brian Jackson. And as a new mom, I am so excited for this conversation. Um, I know I saw your background and your focus on fatherhood. And I went to my husband. I was like, give me all your questions. Like, what can I ask Brian? So most, most of this is not original content for me. Yeah. I'm just very excited to ask you all of these questions and to spend some time with you today. Well, perfect. Thank you so much, guys. I think that this is an awesome forum that you guys have. And, you know, allowing for fathers to know that other fathers see them, feel them, understand them, and know what they're going through um, is, is the goal of committing committing to daddying, as I yeah. call it. So I'm looking forward to it. Let's, let's kick it. Yeah. So, I mean, let's just jump right in. Why, why fatherhood? Like, what brought you to this point to really be elevating? Well, first, let's actually go back. So you yes. have your own podcast. <laughs> Um, yes. that you focus on fatherhood. Tell us a little bit about that and then why fatherhood and what got you into into this space. Absolutely. So my, myself, along with my, my other co-host, Don and Harris, uh, were three black dads that would get together and we would just talk about dad stuff. And that turned into us saying, do safe spaces exist for black fathers to really have conversations about how do we discipline our children? How do we raise strong black children? And once we started to see that the spaces that existed were somewhat toxic, whether it was the uncle's garage or whether it was the barbershop, we started to say, well, let's commit to, to building a platform and have this platform be one where we take an oath to be vulnerable. We'd be funny. Uh, we talk about our challenges and our, and our successes as, as, as fathers. But let's be unapologetically black, right? Like, we don't have to let the world know that we're black fathers, but we're going to talk about how we show up to work and have to put on a mask and then come back home and try to raise a black kid, right? We're going to talk about certain things that black fathers would understand, but also others' fathers would understand. And so that's how Dad Genes, um, exploring the DNA of healthy fathering, uh, came about. Uh, and it's dad, G-E-N-E-S, genes, just a play on words. But we really go deep and get introspective. Um, and, you know, that turned into a dream. And, you know, our first week uh, with Apple Analytics, we went ahead and, and peaked at uh, number 17 in the top 100 parenting podcast. That's awesome. And what really sets us up um, as being unique is that it's three black dads. We represent each part of the DMV. So my boy, Dedon, is in D.C., and he co-parents a, a nine-year-old beautiful black queen. And then we have Harris, who is an immigrant, who is in Maryland, um, who is homeschooling two beautiful queens. Um, and then myself being Brian, representing Virginia, um, raising a biracial interface black boy. So, you know, we got the DMV. We center everything DMV. And, you know, it's so funny because none of us are from the DMV, <laughs> but we live here now. <laughs> but yeah. we're claiming it as our own. So, you know, that's why we decided to go ahead and, and just, you know, elevate the voices of fathers so that fathers could know that there's a community out there for them. So, Brian, we clearly still live in a world where all lives matter is a thing. I'm mm -hmm. curious if you could speak to why. She's not curious. I'm not curious. I want to know. <laughs> I want to know why a space just for black fathers. What are you trying to achieve? Why is it so important to have a space just for black fathers? 
what? There are narratives that have been global, whether in publications, whether in media content or social media content and, and music, whatever you call it, where the narrative of, of black fathers is distant, disconnected, not interested. But a lot of the fathers that I was around that I saw were there. But my dad passed away in 2016 and my son was born in 2018. And I was just somewhat hurt because I'm like, I can't go to my dad for anything. And so what that inspired me to do was look at all the fathering figures that I had in my life. Right. And I had two bookends. Right. One bookend was um, Dr. Heathcliff Huxable. And I'm saying he clicked, he clicked Huxable. Not, Y'all know who he yeah. is. Yes, very intentionally. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. But then I was also thinking about Uncle Phil, right? Oh, yes, because the song that was going through my mind is a rap song that's like, Uncle Phil, only father that I ever knew. Yeah. Absolutely. J. Cole, Absolutely. let's give credit where it's ah, due. There we go, there we go. I'm snapping. I'm snapping for that. Yes, I'm snapping for that. And so with these bookends of fathers, I started to see that there were a lot of positive fathers. But then I started thinking about a lot of the images that were still in my head of negative fathers. And, you know, I work in the nonprofit world and I'm committed to the reform of criminal justice. And a lot of the men that I've interacted with that are in facilities or have been in facilities are black fathers, are black brothers, are black uncles. And it was, again, how can we just change the story? build up the courage to say, you know what, I am proud to be a dad and to know that you don't have to be perfect, right? There is no such thing as a perfect parent. But if we are going to commit to it, know that if you make a mistake, your kid will still look at you as the most important thing in their life. But there will be some guys that will say... Yeah, okay, I was going to say, not to cut you off, my daughter, when she was probably seven or eight, I don't remember, I was a young mom, teen mom, but yeah. I remember I was like probably crying, like cry rage or whatever, and I remember like yeah. cry yelling maybe and being like, I don't know what I'm doing, like we don't get a, a <laughs> manual when you're born, but she mm-hmm. looked at me with pure terror <laughs> and fear, yeah. and she yeah. was like, you don't know what you're doing? <laughs> Like, yeah. <laughs> she, and I was like, I don't. I'm making it up as I yeah. go along. And so I'm glad yeah. you talked about that because we all parent differently. And it's also important to look at the generational issues or generational mm-hmm. patterns that have been passed down into how to parent and to identify where that where we might have to switch up the game a little bit and do things Absolutely. differently. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because parenting is all about the pivot. Right. And you are essentially, you know, pivoting every second. Right. It's not like you pivot tomorrow. Like, no, if my son wakes up tomorrow with a runny nose, I got to go ahead and be ready. If he wakes up the next day with a skin knee, like, and that's the beauty of this thing is that it's a forever evolving piece of art. Right. If you look at it that way. And at the end of the day, like my wife and I were partners in this, but I have to be able to say, I need to be able to lean on my community. And sometimes my community will be my sister's will be my mom, will be you guys. But sometimes I just need to connect with my boys and be like, yo, am I tripping? Like, <laughs> I came home and there were 48 boxes from Amazon on my door. Yes, I know my wife has been home all day with my son. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, how, yeah, how many help me boxes not do we out. need? Yeah, like, <laughs> help me not flip out. 
<laughs> Each of those packages was needed mm-hmm, <laughs> as a person mm-hmm. who's been on Amazon every day. Yeah, I mean, so, you can already hear that that was a conflict. But anyways, we got through that. I love my wife. Yeah, but going back to the narrative, my, I guess we were using this platform to be very educational with a lot of people who this is their first glimpse into a lot of conversations among mm-hmm. black and brown people. And so yeah. the narrative of the absent father and yeah. looking at the structures and the systems and the racism that put mm-hmm. fathers behind bars or put 100%. fathers in, you know, very low income, low earning jobs. Mm-hmm. What are your talking points on that? Like, what do you tell people? How do you school people to the game that there are these barriers that have been intentionally yeah. placed in black and brown communities that prevent men from being exceptional fathers? I tell you, the, the first inception of me recognizing this, I grew up in Milwaukee, on the north side of Milwaukee. Milwaukee is the, the most segregated city in the, in the country. And on my block, there were two dads that I can remember, my dad and a dad down the street that was a sheriff. Now, a city block in Milwaukee probably had 30 homes. So when you think of 30 homes, that's 30 families and two dads. And so as an elementary school kid, my dad showing up for field trips and how that just made me feel. But then I would go into my white friends' neighborhoods and there were dads mowing the lawn. There were dads putting things um, in, in the ground. There were dads pulling things. Weeds. I mean, I saw dads all the time, right? But then I actually started to identify that, man, why is it that when I see cops on TV, it's always men and black men being arrested? Why are all black men and black boys in many of these shows the butt of the joke? Even today, right? Like, they're the punchline dads, right? Like, it's very rare you get, like, um, you guys remember the show The Rock? Yes. Yeah. Wait, like wait. I'm thinking of the movie The Rock. Sorry, I have a thing for Sean Connery. So, Charles S. Dutton um, was a, um, he was a, a trash man. Uh, but he had a family and he was just a strong father. Right. And I'm like, I was thinking of that as a kid because I was connected to that character. Cause that was like my dad too. Like my dad didn't take any mess. Right. But he was like respectful. And so when you think of the barriers in neighborhoods where a lot of our dads are put in positions where they don't have the jobs that they would like, but they can't get the jobs that they would like. There is no support for them academically, emotionally, and socially. And so they pour into alcohol. They pour into some of these other social ills, and then they disappear from our neighborhoods. Like, our dads weren't in our neighborhoods because they didn't want to be there. Our dads weren't in our neighborhood because they couldn't be there, whether yeah. physically, socially, or, or emotionally. And so I tell a lot of, you know, folks that, you know, are looking into sharing Black stories to understand that when you remove a portion of our population and you put that population in confinement, right? 90% of the people that's incarcerated are incarcerated for drug related offenses. But the narrative that is often told is that everybody that's in there is in there for a violent crime. So now that marijuana is legal in a lot of municipalities, there's a lot of fathers that are incarcerated for marijuana possession. So just to know if you remove one pillar from a foundation that makes that foundation very weak, and I love my, my black women and my black moms and, and sisters, but there's only so much that they can, they can shoulder, right? And so when you have a foundation that's not stable, it only sets up the perpetuation of this continuum 
of the black family not being as strong as it should be. You raised such a really good point about just how critical it is and the language we use when we tell these stories, because uh-huh. there's a big difference between a father who doesn't want to be there mm-hmm. and a father who couldn't be there. It's it's a lot to figure out how to put it. Is. I feel like I'm yes. making this up every day, but yes. somebody who is trying and doing everything they can versus somebody who is just completely absent. And Absolutely. I think to lump together everyone's story and assume that everyone has the same experience, whether they're black or brown or whatever yep. the case with their dad, service to you know people's identity and Mm -hmm. how they show up in this world and so how we tell that narrative is so important it's huge it it, it is huge and we bring a lot of trauma into our families right it's generational trauma right and so you cannot deny the fact that the way my dad grew up on the south side of chicago had some influence on how he showed up for me in milwaukee wisconsin as a kid Mm -hmm. but i also have to be mindful too that as i'm showing up for my son there is repressed trauma that i have that I may not have come to grips with yet, but I have to be mindful that, you know what, I am now living in a generation where it is okay for me to say I see a therapist or to engage in a deep conversation with my partner, my wife, to be able to be like, listen, we are a part of uh, interfaith and interracial marriage. My wife is Muslim and she's Indian, right? She's also a social worker and a therapist, right? So every day at dinner, I'm having a free counseling session. (laughs) (laughs) Can I have dinner with her? I love therapy. (laughs) Like, shrink me, please. Shrink me. You are all welcome. But it's just, again, the way that we show up, we have to address what we are bringing into it. And I don't call it baggage, right? Because there's a negative connotation with baggage, right? Yeah. I'm calling it what makes it you, what makes me unique. So Katie and I have been talking a lot on this podcast about nonprofits and the programs they run, Mm -hmm. as well as the metrics they use to measure success. Mm -hmm. And often there are metrics around how many people did we see? So programs related to fathers and black males, how many came through our doors? And one of the things we've been trying to push for is like, what are different metrics? What are the metrics that really indicate impact and show that we're having, you know, in your case, a positive impact on building healthy families. So mm-hmm. what are your thoughts and perspectives on some of the metrics we should be using to evaluate yeah. programs related to fatherhood? That's a great question. I think the first thing is that we have to dismantle the myth that all fathers are six foot one, clean shaven executives that have a BMW. Okay? Yes. We, we, Say we that again. Say that one more time. That's really- I mean, it, I mean, it's, it's the truth, right? Yeah. And, and 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 you know, luckily I, I I fit into some of those metrics, but we have some trans fathers that are out there, right? We have some fathers whose partners are other men. We have fathers that are um, recently released from incarceration. We have fathers who are fathering someone in their twenties and thirties, right? And so we have to be able to look at fathers not as, as a monolith. Right. And I know that we say that a lot with black people. Right. We're not monolithic. Fathers aren't either. Right. And so we have to be able to say fathers look a different way. And however you show up, you are welcome. The other thing that we have to do is we shouldn't base our success on the current numbers that we have. We should base our numbers on the continuation of how often they're coming. Right. And I'm a firm believer that I would much rather do this great first instead of doing it good, right? Because a lot of programs are doing it really, really good. But I would love to be a program where if we start off with one one person, one one father, and then the next week we have two, and then those two come back the next week and bring another person and it keeps growing, then that's how you build trust and that's how you build a community, right? 
And so you also have to look at the metrics of how engaged are the fathers in the conversation, right? Like, you know, that's another piece that is not a measurable. Like you can't measure a father's vulnerability, but what you can measure is how were they on day one? And when they graduate from the program, would they be likely to recommend it to someone else, right? But given that we are in a nonprofit world and, and money talks and metrics matter, right? I feel that there should be a more organic approach, especially when what you're doing, what I call the heart work, right? Like I need to tap into these men and let them know that again, listen, if y'all can't come because you're just not feeling it, that's cool. But the community is still going to be here. Yeah. But when you do come, right? I just need for you to listen because we've already built on something and you're going to be a piece of this, of this puzzle. So I hope that answers the question. But I think the biggest thing is, is that not all fathers look like, you know, Bokeem Woodbine or, you know, look like Morris Chestnut. Like yeah. fathers look a different way and we got to celebrate that. You mentioned community a couple of times. How as a father, as any father out there, and that might fit in any of the categories that you just mentioned, how do you put your hand back and bring other people with you? What does that really look like when you talk about mentorship? Is it a phone call? Is it just keeping in touch? Like, what is that? that recipe. I mean, at first, I mean, please listen to dad jeans, um, podcast. I mean, that's, 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 that's one of the first steps. Um, but the other thing is I recognize that I'm, I'm a walking bulletin, a billboard, right? Like I'm a walking billboard when I am out with my son. Um, when I am out with my son, I am fully focused on him, but I am fully engaged in the fathering process, right? So if his diaper needs to be changed, I'm the one that's changing the diaper. If he is sitting there crying, I, I don't give him to my wife. Like I sit there and I'm a part of it because I want the optic to be for other men to feel that this is something that can actually happen. And I'm not afraid to engage in conversations with other fathers. Like there have been a, multiple times that I've been out and I've seen, I was, here's a quick story. I was at Target. There was a father that was in the newborn section just trying to figure out like clothes. And I could see it on his face. And I just went up to him and I was like, hey, man, um, you good? He's like, man, you know, my wife is about to have a baby in a week, man. And she sent me here to get some swaddles. Man, I don't even know what a swaddle is, man. I just need help, man. And ain't nobody, I don't, I don't feel comfortable. And, and like he is spewing all of this out to me. And it was a blessing that he felt comfortable enough to share that. And so the second thing I did was I just praised him. I said, hey, man, thanks for being honest. I was there too. My son is 15 months. Let me show you what a swaddle is. And so I showed him and he was just like, do I buy one or do I buy a pack of six? I was like, man, you buy two packs of six because you're going to need these. <laughs> yep. And then he was just like, all right, you know, can you help me get a couple of other things? So I'm walking around Target with this dude. I didn't even know his name, but I'm just like, hey, man, get this, get this and get this. And then I said, you know what? Just get a candle for your wife too the hospital just get a, a, a scented candle and just get that for her. and I said she will thank you and I don't know what happened of, of, of this of this dude um, but you know I think us as fathers need to be able to embrace other men to our communities and there is a level of vulnerability with that because that father could have turned around and be like man I ain't trying to F with you what you want like but I have seen the more that you pour into us as men with children the more that you will see us being human. I feel, I'm trying to think of how to 
phrase this because everything you said is just resonating with me. My son will be three months by what on the 27th. Thank you. And my husband, I feel what has made this process amazing. I had so many women who are like, you can't shower. The first few months are going to be horrible. Like, yeah. And then, mm-hmm. you know, everyone has a different story, but I can tell you from my story, that has not been yeah. the case. And that is yeah. because my husband has been willing to be to jump right in, but also mm-hmm. to be vulnerable with me in like, mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to help. Yeah. I don't know how to mm-hmm. make this kid stop crying, but tell me what I need to do. And mm-hmm. every step of the way, I mean, part of it is we're home because of a pandemic, but mm-hmm. we do bath time together. We yeah. do every walk together. Every story yeah. is us and our dog too. And it's just been fun to figure it out exactly. and to figure out what each of us need to be the parent we want to be. Mm-hmm. And that re- mm-hmm. requires some give and take on both of us. It requires mm-hmm. a lot of discussions because each of us, you know, was raised in very different ways and trying to figure mm-hmm. out what do you want to pass on to your kids and what are those things from your family and yourself that you hope your kids never have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, I think what you're saying just really speaks to me around creating a space where it's safe to ask those questions Absolutely. and to figure it out. And I may not always be the person to answer them for him, but to know that there are communities where he can go to mm-hmm. or other dads can go to, to yeah. get perspective. And that's huge, right? Because I don't, proclaim to be the best father. I don't even proclaim to have all of the skills necessary to do this effectively. But what I am acknowledging is that my dad poured in some tools, just like there have been women that have poured in tools and teachers and senseis and coaches. And then there are friends like you that have poured in, right? And so it's like, I'm taking ingredients from this cabinet and I'm just trying to make the best dish possible. But at the end of the day, it's all about trying. And the last thing I would want is to have some resentment from the woman I love because I'm afraid to show up and make a mistake. And that's what we have to tell a lot of fathers. Like, look, moms make mistakes. They just look good when they do it, right? (laughs) Right? They just look good when they do it. Like, we'll make a mistake. Like, one of our co-hosts for Dad Jeans told me, he was like, listen, if you shoot a free throw and you miss it for the first time, you're going to stop playing basketball. Like, nah, you're going to try it again. So when it comes to fatherhood, right? Like that father that was trying to figure out swaddles. First time you put on a swaddle, like it's not going to work out the best, but you're not going to sit there and try it again. Like we're expecting baby number two in December. And thank you. And it's going to be a girl. And I am like over the moon happy that it's a girl, right? We're going to have a follow-up conversation about fatherhood and women because I think that is so important. And I'm just going to leave that right there. But it's necessary that we keep talking about fatherhood and young girls and what that looks like in their their life cycles. Yeah, I just got the chills because I'm sitting there like, I'm going to be on the podcast like, "Hmm, tell me more. Please tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) there was just like this resurgent of like, man, I can't fall back on my old tricks because not only is it a new being, it's a girl, right? And so I'm a lifelong learner. So the best part about that is I'm going to have to do this all over again where I'm just pouring into people and just asking for questions. And, you know, again, I will make some mistakes, but I am, there's so much joy. This is, and this is what's getting us through the pandemic, right? Like we're already thinking about the room. Like we're thinking about, you know, the colors that we want, right? And the name and all of this stuff. And, and this is just adding so much joy. Um, and so, you know, I'm also nervous. Too, have so. you ever, um, 
I guess it's kind of bad to say this and talking about joy, but when it says you realize how many people you truly despise when you start to think of names for your child, <laughs> like you go all the way back to elementary school, like that person made fun of me and my child will not be named that. <laughs> yeah. Given I was a teacher, I was thinking of all of these. I was like, oh, heck no, I ain't naming my kid after you. Like, you're not naming your kid after this kid. I'm like, oh, yeah, I need some help. Yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah. uh <laughs> yeah, but it, it's going to be important too. Uh, we're going to add a Muslim name. We're going to give or, yeah. or a Muslim name too. So my son's name is 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 William, but we call him by his middle name Nas. Mm -hmm. And so um, we just you know we it's important and in our culture because um, I want my son to know how proud he should be of his Muslim side, but I also want him to know that he sits on the shoulders of a diaspora that, you know, is just absolutely amazing, so. One of my favorite quotes is by Marianne Williamson about success. And she mm -hmm. says that success means mm -hmm. you go to bed at night knowing that your talents and your gifts were used to best serve others. And so whether you want to use that context or not, mm -hmm. what does success in fatherhood look like to where you're not comparing against this fake narrative of what you see in the media, but what can you be like? Yeah, I mean, to me, my success as a mother has been like, I kept my kid alive. Like, I didn't leave yeah. her not one place ever. <laughs> like, yeah. that's yeah. success yeah. to yeah. me, yeah. right? She's a good human being. <laughs> yeah. Check. We're good. Yeah. But in, in your work and the people that you see, what does success in fatherhood look like? That I've seen the praises of fathering as if it's the best thing since pants and pockets. And to really engage in the pitfalls of fathering, but sharing it in narrative form so people understand the dynamics of it. Um, the beauty of being able to find the success in, in fathering is one at which, again, I'm not perfect, but there are resources out there that can help me get better. But then it's also in being able to lean on the community. So success looks like utilizing the many outlets that are out there to improve on being a father day in and, and day out. Love it. I want to go back to something you said um, just yeah. before Katie asked that question, but you talked about the stories you were telling your son about mm -hmm. his greatness and the shoulders that he stands upon. Yeah. And right now, I feel almost every article that is coming out is talking about this other conversation that black mm -hmm. families are having around how do you deal with the police? Why mm -hmm. is it important to be bigger, better, badder, like the best in everything you do? How are mm -hmm. you perceived in society? And so I'm just wondering if you could speak to how you are thinking about the conversations you're going to need to have with your son yeah. around race, but also, not even also, I'm trying to think of the way the phrase is, but not race from a perspective of this like fear and a negative light that I think many mm -hmm. in the media are casting the conversation, but the yeah. greatness and the appreciation for his skin and his culture and the many things he brings. I mean, that's a great question. Um, one of the things is to really engage into what I can control right now. And one thing I've been talking to my therapist a lot about is when it's time for Nas to have that conversation, we will have that conversation. But right now, what I am doing is utilizing the time to just pour into how great he is and to pour into how yes. beautiful he is, to pour into how smart he is, to pour into how the texture of his hair is his mm -hmm. crown, to pour into him how much I love his mother. So I'm building up this foundation for him to know what a strong family looks like. And within that will then come the pieces of being proud of who he is. I'm intentional about making sure that we spend as much time around my wife's family as possible. 
because I also want him to see that our family has some of the same characteristics as his extended family with love and with community. But I also want him to see when his dad is around his boys that his dad can go ahead and talk that lingo and his dad can go ahead and, and be swaggy and, and do these things because when I have to have that conversation with him at eight, he's already going to understand how the shoulders that he sits on is one at which this is the life that we have to live, but the foundation that my dad and my mom has set for me to understand that to live in the imagination of a white person is going to be very straining on me. Yeah. So how can I show up? How can I do me and be me? But if the shit hits the fan, I have a mom and a dad in the community that's going to be there to wreak havoc if I need to. Like folks know not to mess with us when it comes to our family, right? But also folks know that we're loving and we're caring too. And I just want my, my son to be able to see the strong foundation of a family. Love that. So what's next for you? Besides preparing for baby number two, what's next for yeah. the podcast? Um, what big, big things are you working on? So, you know, the, the goal for the podcast is to just be able to just have great conversations and grow on. Uh, some of the content and, and, and have guests because I'm going to have both of you on as well because I, I you know we really lean into again the community to be able to share narratives and stories that can strengthen uh, the community for our fathers and um, one of the biggest things is you know I went ahead and launched my my own business and it's attached consulting but it's devoted to race equity consulting being able to help organizations think of a strategic uh, and systems approach for their organization. Please just don't do anything for free and starting no, out. No, trust, just don't trust do me. That. Trust me. No, no, <laughs> trust me. Trust me. Uh, no, we're, we're, we're not doing this. Ali and I just had a harsh story. lesson in that today. So that's why I say that. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we will not do that. Um, but the, you know, if it's a part of God's plan, um, I want to continue to grow upon attachment. And attachment is a connection into the race equity work that, that, that I'm doing. But attachment um, is an organization I've created that focuses on men. And so my race equity consulting is called Attach. Uh, but as it focuses on men, it's called Attachment, M-E-N. And the focus is to connect men and attach them to their kids, attach them to fathering, attach them to husbanding, and attach them to life um, and to build upon developing spaces where we can just talk about things as men to bring your kids um, to the community once we are able to get outside of this post-COVID world that we live in. But you know, ultimately just to be able to have a comprehensive curriculum developed to helping men just learn how to father. Everything from the difference between pampers and huggies when it comes to sleep diapers, because there is a difference. There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. And I found that out the hard way. But also helping dads have a space to talk about how do you deal with miscarriages. I feel that there are so many complexities to fathers that we don't allow for them to really unpack, to put, put this stuff inside of these file cabinets in our psyche, and we never address them. The smallest thing will then make us explode. You know, that's, that's the next big thing. Um, you know, just gear up for, you know, December and when baby girl is here. Um, just know I ain't gonna get no sleep. 
No, uh, yeah, like I'm gonna be talking. I'm calling both of y'all. Be like, listen, <laughs> nah, see, I can't be on that's why I'm one and done. Again. I'm doing all of this wrong. That's why I was one and done. <laughs> I I definitely enjoy my sleep and uh, I take oh, no, it very seriously. Now, so, I mean, um, but no, nah, they all gonna be a but I do wake up early. <laughs> I'm like a 4:15, 4:30 riser. So as long as it's around that time, listen, I got you. You and my son will get along very well. He will find that microphone and we'll start singing. <laughs> so my my son loves. James Brown, Sam Cooke, and Billy Joel. Oh, yeah, he, he can come over anytime. Call Sam, well, he, he's two. So uh, if he sees a microphone, he, he's Let's do it. Like, Nas? Yes. Well, I'm All excited right. for our kids to play together because I feel like right now my son only knows my husband and I. So <laughs> I need to ensure he has some friends in the future. <laughs> yes, we will definitely connect and build upon our community. I mean, this has been fantastic. So how do people get in touch with you? Well, actually, I mean, you can find me on IG at Brian W. Jackson, B-R-Y-A-N-W Jackson. You can also find me on Facebook at Brian W. Jackson as well, LinkedIn at Brian W. Jackson. Um, and then, you know, if you want to email me um, for any race equity support or any fathering support, support uh, please email me at Brian at weattach.org. That's B-R-Y-A-N at weattach, A-T-T-A-C-H dot o-r-g um i look forward to connecting with the dmv community i thank both of you for allowing for me to uh connect with you guys on this journey and on this platform which is fantastic i hope this isn't the one and done um but i also look forward to you guys being a part of the dad jeans community as well and um <clears throat> you know together we are better um instead of being apart from each other so. absolutely i'm not even saying anything after that done cut there <laughs> <laughs> I'm just over here nodding my head like everyone can see me. So, I'm just like so excited. Like, you were doing it. You're like, mm, oh, yeah, she, I, I love it. Like, Aaliyah will wave. She'll be like, hi. Oh, and I'm like, man. nobody can see you, Aaliyah. Like, nobody can see you. <laughs> it's great. She brings my heart so much joy. Oh, man. I love it. Yes. I love it. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, thank you so much. We, we greatly appreciate you. And I'm super, super hype about what's in store. So for all of us, uh, let's do it. Thank you very much. And like I said, I'll be reaching out to you guys again for the Dad Jeans podcast. I just feel that there are perspectives that you can just bring from a, 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 I mean, a level that would just be great for, for our men to hear. Um, so just be on the lookout for that. Um, in the meantime, be safe, uh, be secure, be beautiful, and uh, be smart. And, yes. you know, we'll make we'll make it happen. Let's do it. It's time for action. Checkbox Outreach is more than a podcast and simply putting a check in a box. This is about impact and moving the needle. Aaliyah and Katie, what are the next steps? Okay, Aaliyah, fatherhood. Coming from the new mom, this had to the show had to mean something special for you. So what are your takeaways? Um, it did. I cannot stop smiling. I was so excited about this episode. I actually ran downstairs and was like, Greg, I just met your new best friend. <laughs> like this man, <laughs> Brian is just really doing some exciting work around. I don't know. I feel like a lot of times when you become a new parent, you don't know where to turn to. You don't know what to expect. There's all of these questions and you want to get it right. And I think sometimes you're just looking for a community to say, it's okay. And this is what I'm going through. And so for me, I think my biggest takeaway was just how important it is to change the narrative around black fathers in this country and create spaces that are not just safe spaces, but 
spaces where black men can be vulnerable, can talk about the daily struggles of fatherhood, can talk about the daily joys of fatherhood and ways in which that they can support each other in, I don't know, flipping this idea that we have that every father's absent or every father, you know, didn't want to be there in the first place or that they don't know how to parent and just moving our country away from that picture and really showcasing and lifting up how dads are coming together. For sure. And I think the podcast Dad Jeans is such a great way to actually get into people's homes, houses, ears, whatever, and just to say, hey, we're having these conversations. You can replicate this among your circle, among your friends. So I love it. I was looking at Dad Jeans and then I went down this like rabbit hole of there are these other um, groups like Dope Dads and Black Fathers Rock. And there's these Instagram campaigns around Girl Dad or Black Girl Dad. And it was like, can we talk about the Girl Dad thing, though? Because I'm a little upset that that wasn't really a thing until Kobe Bryant made it a thing. Like, why couldn't men be so proud of having daughters until a celebrity made it a thing? We can say that for another time. I'm just saying... I'm not saying that there aren't men out there who have not been proud. I'm saying that how, as a society, are we celebrating girl dads now when we weren't doing that before? I digress. There are, there are t-shirts and hashtags now. That was not the case. What? <laughs> what were some of your takeaways from this episode? Aaliyah, there are so many. I come at it more from looking at the criminal justice space and mass incarceration and Feeding into the stereotypes, like we talked about on the show, that black fathers aren't present, but you look at the systems and what put black men behind bars and those policies and procedures and actions every single day in black communities that caused black men to not be present for their children. And to me, it's kind of reflecting back on people have different takes on the show Black as Fuck on Netflix, whatever you think about it is your issue. But every topic of the show is, it says because of slavery. And when you look at slavery, I encourage people to watch 13th on Netflix and looking at the 13th amendment and the abolition of slavery and what that meant in terms of incarceration for black men is very, very powerful and frames the discussion so well. I want to also point out because what you're saying around sort of the systems that perpetuate black fathers and men not being there for their children Something else that has been heavy on my heart is also the policies we have around paternity leave in this country, because that also directly affects whether or not a father, even a a father who wants to be there, whether or not they can be there for their child. And as I mean, I was thinking about in my own family, Greg was only supposed to get two weeks of paternity leave. I can tell you it takes way longer than two weeks to figure out what the hell you're doing with a child. And if it wasn't for this pandemic, he wouldn't have been able to be here. I mean, we are not in a place where we have the ability to make the choice between our mortgage and him spending time with our child. And so I think looking at how we have policies that, you know, allow for more paid leave for fathers that have policies that protect against stigma for dads taking off to be with their kids or policies that guarantee their jobs will be there if they spend time with their kids. And I think it's just so critical to being able to create strong families that can grow and work together. Yeah, for sure. And strong families, it really made me think of access and opportunity and who has access and opportunity. And it goes back to that conversation we've had numerous times about the black white wealth gap. And there's a really great article. I encourage people to look for it um, by the Washington Post called the black white economic divide is as wide as it was in 1968. And so in 1968, 
the average wealth for a white middle-class family was $70,786, and the average wealth for a black middle-class family was $6,674. In 2016, the average wealth for a middle-class white family, $149,703, and the average wealth for black families is $13,024. It says you would have to combine the net worth of 11.5 black households to get the net worth of a typical white family. And so you look at opportunity and again the systems that are in place and those same systems that tie into i'm going to take it back to mass incarceration again that tie into who is in this churn and we look at disproportionality among people who are incarcerated and in virginia the black white ratio is for every five um, white people there's one black person and for hispanic people according to the census hispanic or latino for every 10 white people there is one Hispanic or Latino person. When you look at incarceration, for every one white person, there are five black men incarcerated. And for every one white person, there are four Hispanic or Latino men incarcerated. It's completely upside down, right? And those impacts on communities, those impacts on children are huge. And when you look at children of people who are incarcerated, one in every 57 white children has a parent who's incarcerated. One in 28 Hispanic children have a parent who's incarcerated. One in nine black children have a parent who's incarcerated. Like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, I just, I can't, it blows my mind. And you look at wealth and you look at opportunity, you look at who can afford an attorney, you look at policing, you look at all of these layers and levels that, again, put black and brown men at a disadvantage out of the gate. And it plays into, we've talked about this before, like these issues don't just happen in a silo. So not only does wealth affect your economic opportunities, but now look at this conversation we're having around education. I don't know if you saw the, um, there's an article that said in Fairfax County and Loudoun and some other wealthier communities, teacher pods are popping up where a family can pay like $500 and they can share a teacher. And so it's a small group that would then come and what? help the students do their, yeah, do their virtual learning or provide tutoring um, just in case schools don't reopen or if schools do open and they're not ready to send their children back or they choose a virtual option. All with the idea of, we, you know, rightfully so, parents want their kids to have the best opportunity. So we're going to hire a professional to be able to help our children. Think about who can't afford that. Think about when you're spitting out the numbers around these wealth gaps and income gaps that's not even a possibility to think about an extra $500. I don't know if it's a week, a month or whatever it looks like, but still it's just an extra expense to be able to provide that. Yeah. And if your child is not getting that education they need, if they're not getting this access and exposure to opportunities they need, then once again, it's another disadvantage, another hurdle that they are then having to climb over just to be able to be on a level playing field, if we want to even call it that. Yeah. And so the ask here for me is that one, check your implicit bias, right? We all have it. We've talked about this on repeat on the show. There isn't a certain look to fatherhood. There isn't a certain look to what a great father looks like. And like Brian said on the show, a father doesn't have to have a suit and a tie to be a great father. But the other ask is that we want you to support fatherhood and support fatherhood programs, but understand how this ties and bubbles up into this broader picture of 
income opportunity and upward mobility and the wealth gap and mass incarceration, that there are these other issues that are directly impacting how black and brown fathers can be successful in their communities, but then holding them to the standard that they should be the cornerstone of the community. We have to be having these conversations to say, wait a minute, okay, what something's got to give. I agree. And I, like I said, my ultimate ask for this is I really do think um, more around paternity leaves and programs that economically support fathers being able to take time off of work to be home with their kids. And then lastly, I would just say this is something I found as I was reading this. Almost every fatherhood program I looked up that is focused on changing the narrative around black fathers, they tell a story where a white person came up to them and was like, oh, look at you. Like, you're doing a great job for a black dad. Or I just, you know, I'm so excited to see you as a black father out here. And I just would also ask that that not be the narrative that we have to keep telling right, either like, as well. If you want to celebrate fathers, it's not you're good for a black dad. It's just celebrating dads for yeah. being dads. And yeah, that would be my hope. Yeah, no, it's so true. And we can have a, probably a whole hour long conversation about the white savior and the comparison to what the white norm is. But we will save that for another day. So I appreciate you, Aaliyah. I appreciate your insight and your conversation. And shout out to Dad I love our talk. (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of Checkbox Outreach. Our episodes can be found on our website, on iTunes, on Spotify. We're also available on Twitter at Disrupt Outreach.